Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, get another mailbag edition of the pod answering the questions that you asked us, um, including uh, could Quentin Grimes potentially get dealt for a former all-star point guard this offseason? What are the weaknesses that could hurt the Knicks in the playoffs? And so much more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up and tucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. And he's out. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. We want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day wherever you listen, whether that is your podcast platform of choice or on the video side, the fun side, as I like to call it, on YouTube. Uh, be sure to throw us a subscription on YouTube in particular. Be sure to hit that notifications bell so you never, ever miss an episode. But hey, who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster, Alex, packing up tonight to head down to Glens Falls, New York, for the uh, New York State semifinals and uh, championship on the high school side of things. So that should be a whole lot of fun. Um, but who am I Who am I talking to right now? He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of The Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. You can check them out on all forms of social media at thestrick.land. And uh, we, are, we are picking up uh, with this mailbag, continuing where we left off uh, the other morning. Um, and we start off with a question. Um, from our guy, Elsie Hunt. You got two questions this episode. Shout out to Elsie, Elsie Hunt at Elsie Hunt 2 on Twitter. Go throw him a follow. And he wants to know, would you trade Quentin Grimes and a first-round pick for D'Angelo Russell? He might have the shop profile the Knicks are lacking. Alex, I know where I fall on that one, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your opinion. <laughs> I'm on a big old no. <laughs> yeah, I would not. I would not do that personally. I mean, I just think at this point, why would you make that deal? I guess it, like you have Brunson on the roster. You also have Emmanuel quickly on the roster and you want to talk about shot profile. They occupy basically the same shot profile as Russell and Russell also is a nominal point guard. And I certainly don't trust his defense enough to be like, Hey, why don't we slot you down a position to shooting guard or something? Uh, he pretty much has to be a point guard and you already have two point guards that I would say are better because of the overall, you know, scope of their talents. Like maybe Emmanuel quickly isn't quite the lethal, uh, like quite as consistently lethal as D'Angelo Russell from three just yet. Although even that's debatable. Um, you know, I might just be thinking of Russell like lighting the Knicks up the other day. And, and yeah, no. That. To, to be clear, he's shooting forty four percent on seven threes this year, so he, he's having okay. an insane three point shooting. Season. Okay, all right. So yes, he is still he's he's above he's above quickly for now. He clears for now until quickly gets that much better. But in like all other aspects, I'm taking Emmanuel quickly. Like the defense is insanely good with quickly the 
uh, ability to create for others is better for quickly. The rebounding is better for quickly. The overall, I think, like just shot uh, shot creating ability might even be better for quickly. Maybe not necessarily creating threes, but his ability to like break down his defender, get inside, create opportunities for him to get fouled and things of that nature, I think is better. Um, and then Brunson, I just think kind of plays a similar style to how Russell would in an ideal world, but just way better. Like Brunson is just a better player period. Um, so I'm just like, why would I do that then when really like Grimes feels more of a need, if he can just kind of figure himself out um, from a consistency standpoint, like he fills that role of a three and D shooting guard, which is like exactly what the Knicks need out of that spot, given the amount of shot creation and everything else that they have uh, up and down the starting lineup otherwise. So yeah, I'm, I'm out on this idea. Not to, not to poo poo, uh, LC hunts, uh, proposal, but especially if you consider Grimes and a first, I'm like super duper out in that case, because I just feel like if you're going to trade Grimes in a first, you should probably include, include like a couple other firsts and maybe like Obi Toppin and someone else. And, go try and get a star, like a star star, not like a D'Angelo Russell who's like good, but not amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think um, the clearest sign is what's happened in Minnesota since they've traded D'Angelo Russell, where they have have taken off. Um, and Mike Conley has, I mean, it's also credit to Conley who, who looked like he was washed last year and, and even even as far back as two years ago. I mean, he's he's kind of found the fountain of youth, but um, you, you, you kind of see the downsides of Russell just in, in what Conley brings to the table where he is stable. He, he, he's, he's not a very good defender at this point in his career, but he's not a tire fire who just frequently loses attention. Um, like Russell does and Russell to his credit, um, you noted it is, is a very good offensive player, right? I mean, particularly, I mean, he, he is, I, I, I think this, this would be my concern with such a trade. I would, I would posit that. His shooting this year might be unsustainable. Before this season, um, he had never shot better than 46.5% from the field, and that was last season. Before last season, he had never shot better than 43% from the field. Um, and his three-point shooting, uh, again, before last year, was never better than 39%. Last year was again at 39%. This year, it's all the way up to 44%. So he is either um, – I mean, he, he, I mean, he's clearly having a career year, which makes sense because he's 27 years old. Um and maybe he does continue to be that kind of shooter. But the thing is, he, he kind of needs to be that type of shooter to justify himself as a starting point guard. Because to your point, Alex, he, he takes so, so much off the table defensively. And offensively, he's a guy that has always had elite passing talent. Like, if, if you like, I mean, I, I watched him a ton in his Nets days. And he would throw passes that maybe, I don't know, 15 or 20 guys in the league could throw. Like, he, he is an absurdly talented passer. But his decision making isn't always great, and he's not—he's very crafty, but he's not an elite athlete, so he doesn't generate the openings to throw passes as much as some other star point guards do. And, and just from a broader perspective, to everything you said, I, I just don't think he makes any sense on the Knicks because I, I think the Knicks' defensive infrastructure is maybe a little bit shakier than we talk about. Like you, you take out a Quentin Grimes, like you—you you, you take out a like maybe not an elite defender, but let, let's call Quentin Grimes what he is—a a very good defensive player um, for one of the worst in the league. Um, I think you could tank defensively and we saw it. I mean, it's a different position and a more important one, but we saw when the Knicks lost Mitchell Robinson, um, they got it together by the end of his run because Isaiah Hardenstein started playing really well, but initially they tanked defensively. So I, I look, I would look at it as 
as a lateral move and one that could maybe make them worse just because I think like him, Brunson and Randall playing together and Barrett, you have four shoot first guys. Um, and I don't see that working at all. Just in terms of a pecking order, I think you'd have to bring them off the bench and that would, that would bring its own host of issues. But Alex, before we, we uh, wrap up this first segment, I want to just, just pick an element of this question now and see if it has some legitimacy. What do you think the Knicks are going to do with Quentin Grimes? Like if, this doesn't turn around quickly. And and as I'm saying that, it feels way too early to be saying that because we, I think last year, maybe like in, in on, on a raw, on a bad night, we would have been asking that same question about Emmanuel quickly. And you see, all right, just give a guy a little bit of time by his third year. He, he's really gotten it together. And I kind of think the same thing is going to happen with Grimes. But I, I think it's also fair to say that this has been a disappointing second season, all things considered for Grimes. Yeah, I think it's had it. You know, there's, there's been moments of this season that have been really great for Grimes. And then lately he's been sort of slumping a little bit and mostly it's just the inconsistency. And it's not even just the inconsistency of like, he's not shooting well game to game. Cause you can live with that, but it's like, I, I don't know if I'll call it effort level so much as like, just he's been in like a funk. I don't know. I, I kind of talked about it on our post game pod the other day where I'm just like, I can't quite put my finger on it, but, there's just something off with him. Like his timing is off. Like everything, maybe, maybe his, his legs are getting tired, you know, this late in the season, you know, again, he's, he's only second year player. So it, it takes sometimes multiple years for guys to get used to an 82 game season. Um, I don't know exactly what the, the answer is there. I, I think if it were me when Brunson comes back and this might not be something you enact until the playoffs, because maybe like, Initially, when Brunson gets back, you're going to want to keep, you know, quickly coming off the bench just for that that little pop, you know, off the bench to give you that because obviously quickly is great for that. I would not be totally surprised, and this would probably be the move that I would make if in the playoffs you maybe insert quickly into the starting lineup for Grimes and then try to work it so that quickly and RJ can kind of stay on the floor while you get Randall and Brunson out of there with your first subs and bring in Grimes and Obi Toppin because then that's a unit that works really well together too is like the nominal bench unit of, you know, with quickly Grimes, um, uh, Josh Hart and then Obi and like Hartenstein or whatever, like that's, that's a solid one. Or, you know, you could, you could put uh, RJ in there for Hart for bits or, you know, whatever you want to do in that case. I think that that's like, that could be a good way to sort of have your cake and eat it too with not, completely fading Grimes, but also elevating quickly to the starting lineup and really putting your best foot forward. Cause I think that is going to be the way for the Knicks to put their best foot forward in the playoffs. So that would be my guess um, of how things end up going as far as Grimes. But I'm curious if, if you have a different thought on that. I, I think in particular, if they end up playing the Cavs, that that's the direction I would go just because they have two smaller guards. And and for quickly, that is not like if, if you're playing the Celtics um, and, and maybe obviously that sounds bad given what quickly just did against the Celtics. But I, I think a crucial factor in that game was the fact that Jalen Brunson was out so quickly was starting at point guard and it wasn't all right, go guard um, Jalen Brown, who's four inches taller than you. And I don't know, 100 pounds. He's not actually 100 pounds heavier, but in my mind, he's, he's 100 pounds heavier than Emmanuel quickly um, versus Donovan Mitchell um, and Garland, which are is, is obviously a 
very tough matchup, but I, I think just from a size perspective, one that quickly is is able to handle and and he might he might even end up being a better option on a Donovan Mitchell than a Quentin Grimes is given how he's been playing defensively. So I would I would definitely do that if they play the Cavs. Um, the Sixers are a team. I mean, you could you could probably talk yourself either way. Maybe with Harden size and his physicality, you want Grimes out there. I, I think it's so matchup based in the playoffs, and it's kind of what Tibbs always says. And, and normally, I, I call I call BS on it, but I think in the playoffs, it 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 holds a little bit more weight. Like it's not it's not who starts, it's it's who finishes. And I, I'm more okay with that logic when you're talking about Quentin Grimes instead of talking about Alfred Payton. So for me, it it just comes down to matchups. Um, but Alex, we, we've delayed the inevitable way too long. I think it's, I think it's time we award our uh, Nissan player of the week. Yeah, it is about time for our Nissan most electric player of the week brought to you by the all new, all electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And for me this week, it's maybe this is controversial. I don't know. I feel like people are either going to be like, yes, finally you're acknowledging him or like, ugh, he still sucks, but I'm going RJ Barrett. You know what? The Knicks have kind of gotten themselves back on course. They've won two straight games after losing three straight after that big win streak. And I think that R.J. Barrett really had a big part to play in that. 30 points uh, against the Lakers and then 22 against the Trailblazers. And with Brunson out, especially in that Lakers game, I felt like he really kind of uh, put the onus on himself to uh, score more and really just be brilliantly fierce and try to get to the the rim more finish there draw free throws do the dirty stuff which in its own way is fiercely elegant and stunningly powerful much like the nissan aria uh and you know rj also was delivering on duality a little bit a combination of fierceness and elegance beautiful but strong this very very flowery uh language that maybe better describes an suv crossover but you know at his best R.J. Barrett, I do think, is beautiful but strong with the way that he plays basketball. So the the 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one EV. And the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria is the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. And congratulations, R.J. Barrett, our most electric player of the week. All right, Gavin, we are back to continue talking uh, mailbag questions. And this one, another one from LC Hunt uh, at LC Hunt 2 on Twitter. Two straight questions from LC. Uh, so this one, this one is a, a little bit of a winding question. This one takes us on a journey uh, asking about things going on with the Knicks right now. So at the Laker game, uh, I noticed this LC Hunt noticed how many open threes they gave up. They didn't hit most of them. But in the playoffs, those will hurt. They meet being the, the Lakers. Uh, then three-point D to percentage of three-point offense is a concern. But the heavy go-to Julius Iso killed them in the Hawks series uh, a couple years ago. And still minus Jalen Brunson, that seems to be an issue. So does Tibbs really not trust anyone else on the team to take shots in a free-flowing, cut-to-the-rim, drive-and-kick-out offense? Maybe the offense is so dependent on one player uh or maybe the offense being so dependent on one player spells trouble. Uh, so Gavin, we, we pulled a couple numbers on this and I'll, I'll give those numbers real quick and then just kind of throw it to you so we can discuss uh, what we think about LC's hypothesis here. But so the Knicks, as far as three point defense this year, uh, they allow the seventh most attempts from three, 
However, they're third in three-point percentage allowed. So they're actually doing, whether by luck or or game planning or skill, they're doing quite well defending the three-point uh, line, even if they're giving up lots of shots. And then as far as ISOing, the Knicks are fourth highest in ISO percentage in the NBA right now, and that's behind Dallas, Philly, and Brooklyn. With the new team construction of Brooklyn down these final so however many games they have left, 17, whatever games left, the Knicks might be top three by the end of the year because Brooklyn is not going to run like they did with Kyrie and KD the rest of the year and not use nearly as much ISO, I don't think. So the Knicks are probably a top three as far as percentage of possessions that are ISOs in the NBA. But they're also one of the best ISO scoring teams in the NBA. They're seventh in points per possession in the entire league in ISO uh, at one point per possession uh, gained via ISOing, which roughly equates to like 50% field goals, which is pretty solid for ISOing. So I don't know. Where, where do you stand on on those numbers versus, uh, versus LC's uh, thoughts on the three-point defense and the offense being too ISO-heavy going into the playoffs? Yeah, so I think – there's a there's a lot to unpack here. This 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 could be an episode and a half um, in in and of itself. But I, maybe I, I it think, will be. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll find out, right? We, we've done it before. Um, but I I think what he's trying to get at basically is like, all right, these are these are some things that could be concerned concerns come playoff times, right? That, that's kind of the the guiding theme here. So let, let's let's just take it um, element by element. Um, as far as three point shooting goes, I think there is some credibility to that because there is a a school of thought um, in the NBA that um, the percentage that um, opposing teams shoot against you is is pretty random from three point range and, and and just tends to bounce around a lot from year to year. With, with the lone exception, I'm actually um, I can I can pull it up right now. I'm not sure where where they rank, but but generally, um, yeah. So Boston is ninth this year. Boston is is usually the one team that tends to not have the fall off from year to year. And, and the theory on it in the past was that Brad Stevens is just really good at, at coaching closeouts and, and Boston did it better than anyone else in the NBA. Um, so maybe that's fallen off just a, just a tiny bit this year. Um, but if you give up a lot of threes and you're reliant on that all season, it's plausible that that's not a good recipe for playoff success because one, you're going against better shooters. Like, I mean, we can, we can look at the Knicks uh, most likely first round opponent, the Cleveland Cavaliers and say, all right, they have two guys. It's very similar to what we saw um, against Portland last night where they have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, who are just two of the better shooters in the league. Mitchell gets it done with, with volume and high degree of difficulty. Garland kind of reminds me of Steve Nash back in the day where you almost want him to shoot more threes because he's, he's such a talented shooter and it, it just has amazing touch. Um, but those are two guys. If the Knicks are giving them open shots could potentially torch the Knicks, but what the percentage that the Knicks have allowed this year kind of tells me, Alex, is that they've done a pretty good job picking out the right shooters to give shots to. So on the Cavs, that's Isaac Okoro or Evan Mobley. And, and I think the Knicks will, will do everything they can to sell out on Mitchell and Garland, run them off the line, and, and give Okoro and Mobley more threes. And the beauty of the playoffs is even if the Knicks were playing a style in the regular season that would lend themselves to giving up a lot of threes, they might make opponent specific adjustments um, in the playoffs to do their best to stop that. Obviously you're only going to stop Garland and Mitchell to um, some extent. Um, I do have real concerns about the Julius Randall aspect of it. And I, I think we saw them crop up over the weekend against the Clippers and Lakers. But, but first Alex, I'm, I'm curious if you had any more thoughts on uh, the three point shooting specifically or, um, or maybe just new ones on Randall. 
No, I'm pretty well with you uh, on the three-point shooting. Like the uh, first off, the idea that, and I've been saying this since like last season or even two seasons ago. Like, as far as how the Knicks defend the three under Tibbs, I've always thought that it's better than what people think. And like last year, especially, I remember it was a huge thing because they kept getting burned by the guys that shouldn't be making a ton of threes, like Ricky Rubio hitting like eight threes in a game and miles Turner hitting like seven, who's like a good shooter, but not a fantastic shooter. And it just felt like a lot of unlucky breaks on those sort of situations. But I think the Knicks do give up a decent chunk of threes as the numbers illustrate. But to your point, I think they have done a good job under Tibbs game planning and being like this guy gets left open this guy gets left open this guy gets left open that guy does not get left open and neither does that guy and they do their best to honor that and say you know what like i don't care if miles turner makes three threes you know like we're gonna keep to our game plan because we want to keep everybody else out of the paint and he can stay out there and shoot open threes all he wants because we know just via the law of averages that he'll even out eventually um, because it, that's just how it usually works. So, um, and you know, that again, burned them more last year. And I think they've done a better job of adjusting to that a little more this year. Or if a guy gets too hot, they're like, you know what? Never mind. Maybe we will defend him a little bit. Um, and we even saw, like, I think I actually just saw, and I think this question was asked before the Portland game. So, you know, this is, didn't have the most, you know, uh, eye test stuff available at the time, but based off what I was seeing against Portland, I thought that it was kind of telling that the Knicks were even fooling around a little bit with keeping like Mitch out on the perimeter more against Damian Lillard. And that I think bodes well, well for facing like Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, where if you could say, okay, yeah, we're going to, we're going to not have Mitch play drop every time now, you know, maybe we'll have him come up to the point of attack and, you know, just kind of box in that shooter for just a second, give quickly enough time to recover after that screen. And then Mitch can run back down to his man down low, whoever that may be, if it ends up being Jared Allen or Evan Mobley or, or what have you. So I really liked that development the other day. And uh, that gives me some hope there. As far as Randall and the ISOing, I think the big difference between this year's team and the uh, team that faced the Hawks two years ago is, with is right in this question, right? Where he says, and still minus Jalen Brunson, that seems to be an issue. I agree. It could be an issue if Jalen Brunson is not healthy by the playoffs. However, Jalen Brunson is healthy uh, or should be healthy by the playoffs. I should say he's not healthy currently, but like with the way that they're approaching things right now, it seems like they're prioritizing his playoff health, hopefully. And so if he's healthy by the playoffs, those concerns go away because then you have your floor general there and another ISO scorer and a guy that can shoot, uh, you know, spot up shots and everything else and in Brunson. So you don't really have to worry too much, but even without Brunson, Emmanuel quickly has developed so much more since two years ago and is so much better at breaking down defenses. RJ Barrett, even to his credit has gotten better than he was two years ago at breaking down a defense, like from a standstill. So maybe that just means more ISOing, but we have seen, over the years, like no matter what kind of offense you run in the playoffs, it devolves into more ISOing. And you need to have those guys that can do that and also find the right moments to kick out the shooters and then have guys that can shoot, but also have multiple guys that can dribble the ball and pass it and shoot. So 
I think the Knicks have done a good job of developing their guys into more of that. So even if Brunson, for whatever reason, isn't healthy by the playoffs, I like their chances more than I did two years ago because of that. Yeah, I I think I'll I'll push back that I I am concerned about it. Um, but before I do that, um, I wanted to remind everyone that the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on the journey of self-discovery for wherever you are. Um, I can I can say from personal experience, I've been in therapy on and off for most of my life. Um, I think something like the last four or five years now. And to me, that 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 element of self-awareness is, is the greatest thing I've gained from it because as, as much as you... You think you know yourself and you think you have a good understanding of yourself until you kind of bounce your internal dialogue against the professional. Um, there's a measure of objectivity that's going to be missing. And I don't know. I found it's one of the most rewarding things in my life to figure out like, all right, this was something that I thought was a strength of mine, but maybe something I can continue to work on. Like, or, oh, yeah, like that, that kind of light bulb moment of I do do that or I do always say that or I do always think that way or this thing does always make me angry and exploring why and figuring out a, a better solution to uh, deal with it in the future. Um, so if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. All right, Alex, now let's uh, let's discover the Knicks' potential um, in the playoffs. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about the, the Julius Randle of it all. Um, and I think that Clippers game um, highlighted some of what I'm saying. But honestly, even the Heat game where Randall was the hero down the stretch, I, I think gave me some reason for concern. And that is he is still not very good at recognizing double teams. We saw in the Lakers game, he made some adjustments and was, was better at it. But he's just he's just not very cognizant when there's a second guy coming his way. And I think it's not the biggest deal in the world for the first three quarters of a game but down the stretch of a basketball game the speed that you have to make decisions gets that much faster and as we know from that hawk series and just from watching nba basketball our whole lives i i think you can you can double or triple down on um that speed in the playoffs right like the whole like from the start of the game it's already at what a fourth quarter is like in the regular season then fourth quarters as you go through um, each round of the playoffs, they get faster and faster and faster and faster. And less and less guys are, I mean, guys that you were fine with handling the basketball in the regular season, all of a sudden the bar is too high and they can't handle it anymore. They can't handle the pressure. They can't handle coaches game planning specifically for them with a level of depth that you don't get during the regular season. Um, and, and they just can't handle um, sometimes going against elite defenders night after night after night. And you would think someone like Julius Randle would be immune to that, but I, I just don't think he I, I i don't think he's that guy only in terms of his decision making his shot making is there his talent is there his physicality is there I, I don't think his decision making is quite there and as we talked about with dallas um the knicks are are going to see a lot of defenses down the stretch that are designed to get the ball out of jalen brunson's hands and for now julius randall's the number one outlet this is something that dallas made a point of i totally agree with him i think you're going to need and, and you just noted this um i think you're going to need Emmanuel quickly to be that guy handling the ball in the playoffs. And I want to see Julius Randle down the stretch of games as a play finisher instead of a play starter. The guy catching outside the arc, 
just firing a shot, catching on the cut, going to the rim, getting a basket, pumping and going, that's fine. But any situation where he has to hold the ball for a long time, Alex, and create, like, I'm not a fan of that. And I'm, I'm scared that we are going to see that play out come playoff time. I think we see less of that as long as Brunson is active. Mm. Uh, otherwise, I do think that Julius might get in his own head a little bit and maybe hijack a little more, which actually brings us to our next question. This is a nice, I was, I was trying to create that transition there and hopefully it worked. Uh, orange and blue uh, or more like orange and blue right now on Twitter at uh, orange and blue, but with a J instead of a G and orange. Uh, what do you think gets into Julius when his mood suddenly swings and everything escalates? Brooding, poorly timed fouls and texts, feuding with teammates and coaches. He's controlled that much, much better this year, but we saw it during the three-game losing streak and especially against the Clips. I don't know if there is an explanation for it. You know, it's just he's got a temper and he's got a – he's he has – you know, it's like I don't want to play armchair psychologist perhaps – you know, if if that's something that Julius feels that he needs, he could hit up BetterHelp. <laughs> or there you go. One of our sponsors for this episode, but like, you know, it's I don't want I don't like playing armchair psychologist too much, thinking about that sort of thing because it's it's his brain and his emotions and that sort of thing. I will say, I think that all in all, lately it's probably just been. I mean, we're seeing it play out in real time. Like this team loves having Jalen Brunson, you know, and why wouldn't they, but especially Julius. And I think that once it, once he loses having Brunson on the team, even if it's temporarily, it only takes a game or two for him to start feeling that pressure of like, oh man, it's like just me as like the superstar again. And, you know, it, I think that if I was going to armchair psychologist, it, that would be my thought, but I don't, know for certain and neither of us do as to why he he behaves that way all i know is that he has said that he was aware of that this offseason he took some time to reflect on it and now has been taking part in like before games like breathing exercises and meditation and stuff to get his head in a place to be to let things roll off his back more and so unless i'm given some reason to think otherwise I'm I'm gonna still hold and say that I think he's mostly over it at this point, um, and that the last few games that he's kind of acted up have kind of been more of a blip than something that deserved to be worried about. Once Jalen Brunson's back, yeah, I think I can I can maybe pinpoint some of it. I I think it's fatigue a lot of the time, and um, as we we always note, I think he he leads the NBA in in total minutes this year. He's the only Nick, one of only a couple guys in the whole league that's played in every single game this season, night in and night out. He is asked to carry just an enormous workload, and I think a lot of times, I mean, when when you see him making bad decisions down the stretch of games, Alex, I think it might be a product of that, and I think, um, as as we always say, like, I, I think he would have benefited this season um, from, from Obi Toppin having just a couple of games where, where Obi Toppin says, you know what, tonight I'm going to play Julius 24 minutes. I'm going to play Obi 24 minutes. If you don't give him a full night off, give him an extra quarter off, give him an extra six to eight minutes off. Um, and, and there are, there are like a few Ironmen in NBA history where like, like LeBron in his prime. I, I think that is, that is one of the most impressive things about him is that he played 38 minutes every night. He never missed a game. And, maybe a little bit early in his career, but you rarely saw those moments of mental fatigue creep in. And that is because LeBron is, is the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1%. One of the three best players of all time. Um, 
that bar for Julius is is extraordinarily high, and I think he generally does a good job clearing it. But Alex, I mean, you can, I mean, you can, you can just look at our lives. Like I know for me, like when I'm when I'm tired and I'm overworked, I get I get a little cranky. And then if you have a game like the Clippers game where this happened, where where guys are are elbowing me and pushing me, and I'm not getting the benefit of going to the free throw line for it. Yeah, I'd boil over and probably a lot of stuff that is kept under the surface at most times are just like little annoyances um, that build up over time. And everyone in every situation in, in any job um, all come to the surface all at once because that is that is sort of the eruption point. And it to me, like it doesn't really I mean, I, I agree with you. He does have a little bit of a temper in the past. Like I was very open about how detrimental I thought it was to the team and how frustrated I was um, when he would pout and stuff like that. But for this season, for this situation, like I don't know. I think I mean he's he's human. It makes it makes total sense to me that he would lose it. Obviously, you want him to to maybe just find a better outlet for it in that moment. Um, but I'm I'm with you. I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, and I, I really I don't think it's going to be an issue down the stretch of the season. Got it. I I don't think so either. And I I think I'm with you too. That I think the fatigue is part of it. I think as far as the last few games, I think it's definitely a combo of fatigue and. In the past, he's mentioned even in like his Players Tribune piece a couple years ago and stuff about that that the weight of it all can get to him sometimes, like of being the guy on the New York. Right, and without Brunson, that's to your point, that's doubled, right? That that's what he is exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you don't have Brunson on the team for a stretch of a few games, or you know, like he's not on the floor at least, like. That means that Julius is now looking at this as that much more on his shoulders, and and that mm-hmm. seems to be the thing that pushes him over the edge. But anyway, again, it's not worth. I don't think it's worth getting too worked up over over a few games because I think that he's pretty well over that that stage of himself at this point. Which leads us to our final question, and this one's not one that is going to get a super long response, but it's, it's, someone asked it, and it's it's funny, so we'll we'll answer. Uh, Alex at anxious and one on Twitter. So, how long does the post championship party last? A couple days, a week? Uh, I'll just say the literal party, like people just partying in the streets and whatever, might last a week or so after the Knicks win a championship, but the the party in terms of Knicks fans gloating and being insufferable after winning a championship will last a lifetime for anyone that lived through that championship. Uh, because that's all we need. We just need one and then we're good for life. Uh, as Knicks fans, I think at this point, if you've gone this long without anything close to a championship. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think that's my answer. The, the literal party, maybe a week, but the, the, uh, what would you call it? The the emotional party, emotional party, the yeah. figurative party, the party in all of our brains that would last forever. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I'm just, I, I wonder what the week of the week of podcasts after, because obviously the night of you're, you're, you're analyzing the game and, and you're kind of celebrating. But then I think as it dawned on us, it would, it, it would be really annoying. I don't think anyone would want to listen. I think it would just be a lot of us uh kind of just making fun of the rest of the there NBA. might so there you, might be one of us just like crying a whole episode Shit, i would, can't believe we got here <laughs> yeah it would be it would be, it would be more than one episode for me but uh yeah um i don't don't let the knicks win a championship is we'll, we'll, we'll be insufferable if you do um but I, I think that's a good note to wrap this one up on uh he's alex i'm gavin uh we'll be back on on monday uh with with a game recap for you guys um but until then uh be good we'll talk to you soon i'm locked on knicks